in our, in our studies in Romans we've been working through and we come to a passage tonight, Romans chapter 9, and um, it's, a, it's a passage which speaks of God's sovereign choice, his election. And um, I'm going to do four things, in the, but the first one I'm going to go for a while. But I want, to, I want to explain to you firstly, to give you an understanding of God's sovereignty in choosing people. So once you get an understanding into God choosing people, then I'm going to tell you why you can never really understand God choosing people. Okay, so first I'm going to explain it to you, then I'm going to tell you why you can't really understand it. Then we're going to talk about a couple of issues that rise from that. Prayer and telling other people about Jesus and, and how God's sovereignty works in those. And then I'm going to tell you why we need to understand that we can't understand God's sovereignty when it comes to prayer and telling others about Jesus. I hope that makes sense. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm just going to start. But I want to start by saying this. The biggest problem we have with the thought that God is in control of us is plainly this. We want to be in control of ourselves. Yep. Uh, We don't want the council to rule over us. No. Don't tell us what to do. We don't want the government to rule over us, the church to rule over us, or anybody else, because we are the top of... I forgot the police, but definitely not the police. They will not rule over us. And the reason for that is, quite simply, we know better than all of those. And if God's going to start acting like he's ruling over us, well, we know that we know better than him. That's a joke. But it's not a joke because that's actually the general way that humanity lives. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. We're starting uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. I'll try and talk quick. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I were cursed and cut off for the sake, uh, from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of the Son, theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Paul starts talking about his people, his clan, which is Israel. And he loves his people. You can talk about that like a family clan. I love the Scribbling clan. Well, not me, but you might say that if you're from them. And, and their history and all of that. And then, you know, if there's a person or people that are going to make you cry, it will be your own clan. And he gets to the point of saying, look, I would gladly go to hell if they could all go to heaven. I'd be cursed and cut off if I could save those. I think parents who sometimes think that about their children. Um, and, and so, but he's really worried about Israel. And, and what is his, what, his problem is this. Israel is called God's chosen people. Yeah? And they have a history of receiving all God's revelations, the priesthood, the law, the blah, 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 he says. Okay. But then he's going, here's God's chosen people, and they haven't followed Jesus. They haven't accepted Jesus as saviour. And especially the ones in Jerusalem who have got the temple and everything, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And uh, he's saying, oh, if only. OK, 
Okay. Verse 6. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Now what he's saying is there, God's word hasn't failed. Actually, I mean, I could say, I love all of Israel, but they're not all lost, as you know. Uh, But not all are Abraham's descendants, he says. Now in chapter 4 he says, only the descendants of Abraham are those who live by faith. And if you live by faith and you're not in Abraham's line, you're grafted into his line. But here he's saying, he's talking about a natural line. Abraham had two, two sons that we know clearly about. Who were they? Isaac and Ishmael. Right. Sorry if that was a trick question. And in saying this, Isaac was in God's line. Ishmael was not. Okay. Keep that in mind. Not only that, this is where it's going to start getting hard, and uh, so we've got to focus tonight. Not only that, but Rebecca's children have one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, that Sarah was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Rebecca had two had two twins, she had one, she had, she had twins. And remember they had a tussle in the womb, they were always fighting. And God said before anything, the older will serve the younger. We can accept that, can't we? It's the next bit that we're struggling to struggle with. That before they were born, God says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And Paul says, this proves that God has a purpose in election. God had a plan. He would choose people, not by works, not by what they do, but by him who calls. He would not choose people on the basis of what they do. Do you understand that? Do you like that? Okay. But remember, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we heard that God predestines people that means he has a pre-organised destiny for them. And those he predestined, he calls. So they're predestined and God calls them and then he justifies them and he glorifies them. Remember that passage, Romans 8.30? So God is actually doing all the work. He chooses people not based on what they've done. Now, if you're really listening to me, this is beginning to pose a big question for you. Is it? Because firstly, it cuts against the understanding of how we think things should run. Who gets a reward in this world? Those who do good. Who gets a punishment in this world? Those who do bad. Okay. Now, what God looks at to judge whether we are chosen, that means he chooses, or not, is not based in any way on what we do or even what he knows we will one day do. Paul makes it clear. While Jacob and Esau are in the womb, 
The uncle served the older. Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. He chose Jacob. Jacob became Israel, God's chosen people. Esau turned out to always be an enemy of God's chosen people and his descendants. What's the question that we would ask of this? Well, Paul asked, What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. Well, that's the question you ask, isn't it? Yeah? If God chooses him, and let's face it, Jacob is a scumbag. So was Esau. And God says, I choose him and not him. I can tell you this. If this news got out that this is what God is really like, he chooses some and not others, right? There will be protests next Saturday morning in every capital city around Australia and right across the world. And a lot of angry people holding up banners and what are they all going to be saying? God's not fair. He's unjust. Overthrow him. Get him out. Wouldn't they? Our hearts do that already. Okay, I'm going to go on. I want you to hold all this because um, this is the word of God. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's my choice. Now God said that to Moses at a particular point where, God, where Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God said, I'm going to show you my glory. And he's tucked in a cave and he sees all of God's glory. But God tells him this first. He says, I will show myself to who I show myself I, I um, have mercy on the one I have mercy on. I have compassion on the one I have compassion on. It's my choice. So the reason I'm showing myself to you is not because you deserve it. Because what was Moses my, my like? Moses was a murderer. Yeah. Do you know about a third of the Bible is written by murderers? Verse 5 by Moses. All of David's writings. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Who says God doesn't forgive sins? Okay, sorry, that's a sub-point. Moses was a murderer and he didn't want to do what God told him to do and God chose him. So God chooses to have mercy on those he has mercy. And remember in, in, in Romans 3 we heard no one seeks God. No one does what's good. No one is righteous, not one, says Paul. So to just get it, if God chooses people, he's not choosing from the good Paul. He's choosing from the sewage pit, Paul. Okay? All have turned away. No one sees God, but God chooses who he has mercy on. Okay. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So it's not just what you do. You know, some people would say, they really struggle to do good, but they've got a good heart. No, it's not about desire and it's not about effort. It's actually all about God's mercy. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, Pharaoh was one of the most powerful leaders in the whole world. He, in, over Egypt, in, in the great time of their glory. And he says, I raised you up, Pharaoh, to proclaim my name for all the earth. Now, does that mean Pharaoh went around saying, follow God? No. What did he do? When, when was that part in the Bible? That part was in the Bible when the plagues were getting poured out on Egypt. You know, the ten plagues. Horrible plagues. 
God's sending those so that he would set the people free. And he's saying, Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose. To judge you in front of everybody and show the whole world your sin and to show how great and powerful is my name. So Pharaoh did God's work, even though he was unwilling, unbelieving, ungrateful, he witnessed to the power of God by getting thrashed. Okay. Therefore, verse 18, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Because that's what it says of Pharaoh. It says, sometimes it says Pharaoh got a hard heart himself. But then it says, but God hardened his heart. In other words, God made it so he wouldn't let the people go. Okay. So God chooses to harden and he chooses to show mercy. But it's all his purposes. Now, I want you to stop for a minute and I want to say something I'm going to say a number of times tonight. Realise this. If you're a person that God's working in, if you're a person who's a child of God, if you're a person under his mercy, what an incredible privilege it is to be God's child. Before you start judging and working things out logically and stuff like we're, always, we're about to do, understand this. It is an honour. You are children of the promise if you've had faith in Christ. What a gift. Say thank you to God, not to me. <laughs> okay. Now, this fact that God's choosing to harden and to show mercy asks a very big question in our hearts to arise. And Paul knows it. So he says this. One of you will still, sorry, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? Is that exactly what you're asking? That's exactly what you think. If God's still in the choosing, why does he blame us when we do wrong? I mean, he's this guy he hasn't chosen and, and well, can't blame him then, can you? Because it's all God's fault. It's all God's problem. Now, just understand this. Some people understand this passage to be saying, well, God knows what people are going to do, but he's not, he's not involved in doing it, really. But this is not talking about that. This is saying, why one of you will say, why does God still blame us? It's actually saying, God's doing some choosing. Now, I want you to see a shift here, because before we've been talking about Jacob and Esau and Moses and Pharaoh... But that's not who he's talking about here. Because naturally, when we think if God chose Jacob but not Esau, what does that mean about me, my family, my friends? Why does God still blame us? It becomes personal here. Because you see, if there's this principle, this is how God works, how can we be blamed? So what's the answer to the question, why does God still blame us? It's got to be a good answer, isn't it? Who resists his will? But who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? What Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Surely the creator has a right to do with his creation as he pleases. It says he's got a right to make clay, which is a good comparison because 
humanity, we are made of clay, aren't we? Basically, we are dirt with a bit of water in it, and that's what we're made of. And, and, and God has a choice. And he says, who are you, O man, O puny little created one, to question the creator and ruler of all and say to him, what are you blaming me for? It's your fault. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing to see humanity caught in their sin, atheists who don't believe in God, shaking their fists at the God they don't believe in. They hate him. Okay. Why does God still blame us? But who are you men talk back to God? Yeah, we got that. Sorry. It's a bit like what happened with Job. Do you remember Job? Everything went wrong. And not just like he got a flat tyre. All his property was knocked over by storms. His animals were stolen and his children were all killed. Then he became quite sick with boils all over his body. And after quite a while, he complained to God and says, God, what are you doing? Uh, Why did you do this to me? He says, "Uh, why do you blame me? Who resists your will? And you know what God comes back to him and says? Job, I want to ask you some questions. Where were you when I created the world? Were you there when I, when I put the sea in its place? Yeah. Were you there when I, when I built the land and made trees and made the wild animals? And, and you're questioning me? You don't even understand a thing and you're asking me those questions. Where were you? How can you, with your small human brain, understand my plans? Because then he goes on to say... Every single bolt of lightning, I direct exactly where it hits. And if there's, a, if there's a little droplet of dew forming on the underside of a leaf, I put it there. And every rain drop that falls from the sky, I'm directing its course. Now, I don't know how many billions of rain drops we got when we had one meal yesterday. And God made sure everyone landed where it was supposed to. And then we're saying to God, you don't know what you're doing. Can we ask God that question? Because what we're really doing is saying, God, you're in the dock and I'm going to question you and I'm going to prove that you're guilty of sin. And that's coming from us who are full of rebellion and sin. Okay, moving on. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? When a potter makes his clay pots, he gets to choose what he's making, doesn't he? And if some of it's for noble use and some of it is for common use, isn't that the right of the potter? Again, if you are made for noble use, what a privilege. Praise him and give him thanks. Now, I just want you to understand this. Paul's about to say something. He's about to wrap it up and he's going to say this. God creates some people for destruction and wrath. And that's for his glory. And he makes some for uh, his family. And that's for his glory. And both display his great power and his name in all the earth. Okay. So 
does not the potter have the right to make out of the clay what he likes? Verse 22. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. He called from the Gentiles people to be saved. What if God prepared some predestined for wrath and destruction to make the glory, the riches of his glory made known to those whom he prepared for glory? Because if you have been saved, you must know that you have been saved from hell. You have been saved from the wrath of God. You have been saved from awful punishment. What an incredible thing it is to be able to say, I have been saved. We are called God's treasured possessions. And then he goes on in the rest of the chapter to show Israel is called by God. And okay, now this is a really big thing for us to understand. This is something, well, okay. It's not that. I think we can understand what Paul's saying because he said it so clearly. This is a very big thing for us to believe, for us to put our trust in. Why do we struggle with God's sovereignty in the way that Paul has just said it? Okay, I'm going to tell you why you're struggling. Okay, that's good, apart from what I've already said. Because, firstly, it's impossible for us to comprehend. And I'm going to give you four reasons. There's probably 50,000, but this is it. Number one, God is absolutely holy and pure in every way, and we are not. So when we look at something like God ruling over us and making decisions, we think about it through the eyes of sinful people. And when we see people making decisions over our life, we don't see any holy ones, do we? So we look at God as if he's like your average Joe Blow politician or whatever who's doing it for himself. But God is absolutely pure. We see people making decisions, of sovereign decisions, from the basis of their prejudices, from the basis of their lustful thinking about human beauty. We see people making decisions because of greed and selfishness and desire for earthly glory. But God has none of those. You see, he is pure and blameless. So we can never really understand God's election and God's choosing because our warped minds think of God as being unjust and unholy. But he's not. He's holy and pure. Point two, which is sort of a crossover, but God is perfectly just. He is always just. He is always righteous. And he will only ever judge rightly and justly. And our fallen judgments, human judgments, are always all over the place. And we can't throw that up at God either. He is perfectly just. Number three. God has a plan from beginning to end. He knows everything. He has planned everything. We might be able to see our little part and where we're wandering along in it, 
but his workings are far and beyond our understanding. Because Paul finishes this section in chapter 11 by saying this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has ever been his counsellor? Well, who knows the mind of the Lord? No one. Who's been his counsellor? Everybody. We're always telling him what he should do. But who can truly counsel God wisely? No one. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So point three is, why we can't understand this is because we don't see God's plan. We can't understand it. God is above us. And point four comes from a passage about predestination in Ephesians 1. And it says this, In love he predestined us to be adopted. In love, he predestined us. Okay, if we're going to talk about choosing, and I'm going to choose you and you because you're my favourites, okay, we choose that sort of stuff. When we think of it like that, okay, we're not talking about love. We're thinking all logically now. I don't, I don't know if, you, if you're trying to work out God's sovereignty, you will be trying to be bring your reason and your understanding and like a mathematical calculation and, and translate it. But our minds can't understand this fact. God chooses people and at every moment is completely loving. He always and absolutely is love. So he predestines in love. And everything he does is in love. And his plans and purposes for history and all people are in love. And our hearts and minds can't put those two together. God's choosing and God's love. But it's true. That's why we struggle. That's four points. Why we struggle to comprehend that God could just choose people. Because number one, he is completely pure and holy. Number two, he is just and righteous. Number three, he has a plan for everything. And number four, everything he does is in love. We, our limited minds, can't comprehend all of that. Okay, let's make this hit the ground. And we're going to do it in two ways. If God is sovereign and he's doing all this, firstly, what's the point of praying? God's doing his stuff anyway, isn't he? Secondly, what's the point of telling Alan about Jesus? God's got it all planned out. What's the point? Do you ask these questions? Okay. I'm the only one. Okay. I want you to see firstly that these questions actually come from a place of rebellion because we are dismayed that God's in control and not us. Okay. But firstly, prayer. Just the other day, we preached on this passage. And in, in, in Romans 8, 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit, help, Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he, searched, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now what this is saying is that we don't know what, how to pray and we don't know what to pray for and so here we are as a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes and says, you should pray for this. And then we do pray for this and God answers our prayers. Can you see that? 
That's what happens. God leads us in prayer and then he answers the prayers we pray. Well, why does he include that in? Because he includes his children in everything he does. And nothing happens actually outside of prayer. So God involves us in all of his plans for creation because we're his children. And Jesus said this. He said, pray, thy will be done. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Even though you don't understand what that is, pray it. And God answers that prayer. So, so we're praying, thy will be done. And somewhere in a prison in Lebanon or somewhere else, this prisoner all on his own comes to faith. <laughs> and he says, no humans were involved in this except for people who've been praying for God's will for years. Can you understand what I'm saying? God is sovereign. Why pray? The answer is because he answers our prayers and we pray because he's sovereign. If he's not sovereign, there's no point praying because he might not be able to answer them. He might not have the all he needs. Now, why do we need to understand what we don't understand in this? <laughs> Am I making sense to you? It's like this. Who's... Who, every prayer is answered. Put up your hands if every pray, prayer you ever pray is answered. Yeah? Who understands why that is? Because God's sovereign. And he knows what he's doing. So we pray and we're involved, but our prayers don't force God's hand. We can't do that. Anybody who says that is kidding themselves. But we must pray because God is doing all of his actions through our prayers. And he knows what he's doing. Okay, we'll put it in another way. Proclamation. If God is choosing who he likes, why, telling, tell, why bother proclaiming or telling other people about Jesus? We can't change his will anyway. Well, having that in mind, Paul, in the next chapter, so just the next little bit, says this. This is uh, Romans 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear from someone without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? And okay, we'll stop there. I want you to work backwards because he's kind of using reverse logic there. He's saying someone is sent and that sent person preaches and because they preach, someone hears and because they hear, they believe and because they believe, they call on the name of the Lord. And because they call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. And he says, how can, they, how can they ever believe unless someone preaches to them? Now, hasn't he just said, God chooses who he likes. And now he says, they'll only believe when someone actually speaks the name of Jesus to them. Can you see what he's saying? God has set a way for people to believe. Do you know what it is? The church. Speaking about Jesus. He is completely sovereign, but he doesn't sit up there like, here's his sovereign plan way up in the sky, and here's us all down here going, I wonder what he's going to do next. It's going to be lightning or something, right? But his, his sovereign plan, and it comes right down and it includes us and it picks us up, and we're part of his sovereign plan. So we pray, and we tell other people about Jesus, and he works out his will through us, his people. God loves to involve his children in everything he does. Through prayer, through speaking, through action. Look, there's so much more. 
But he will save people through the prayers of the saints and through the voices of the saints as they speak about Jesus. Now, what is the fact that we don't fully understand God's will mean for this? Well, we don't know when anyone's going to be saved. I say when because sometimes we wonder about we also wonder about whether anyone's going to be saved. But what we can do is this. We can pray and we can speak and then we know that the next bit is God's bit. If we don't, then what we've got to do is we've got to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And if we forget to pray, have we got enough? And you've got to believe and you've got to I convince myself in my head that I'm going to really, really believe this and I'm going to convince God, you know, that sort of prayer, which is just twaddle. We can pray simply and we can know that God answers our prayers, but his will in the end is a mystery. But it's a good mystery. Now, if you think that God is not the one who does his revealing, then what you're going to need to do is browbeat that person who doesn't know Jesus. Bible bashing. Right? Keep telling them, keep telling them, keep telling them. They might get annoyed and slap you, but keep telling them about Jesus because it's all up to you. No, you can tell them about Jesus simply and you can go home and rest because God knows what he's doing. You know, Martin Luther in his famous book, he'd been preaching the gospel. And then he went home and his wife brewed beer. He had a good wife. Um, and he sat down and he had a beer and he said this thing, while I'm drinking this glass of beer, the gospel's going out. Yeah, And it is, because it's not up to him. You see, he can preach and he can rest. And he can know that the prayers and the words of the saints are incredibly effective. Now, I know that this uh, is a huge topic and um, we're going to explore it some more. But for now, I want you to see this. Chosen people of God. Firstly, thank him for what he's done. Secondly, join in his spirit in prayer. Tell others about Jesus and trust him because he is loving. He is holy. He is pure. He has a plan and he knows what he's doing. For you, your families, your next door neighbours, the township and the whole world. God knows what he's doing. Find peace in that. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come to us and reveal to us the fullness of joy that comes from knowing that you're in control and that you know best, that you are ruling over all things for your good. And Father, bring to us the knowledge that you involve us in everything you're doing. And I pray that this topic of your lordship over this earth might bring us incredible peace because we know that the trustworthy, faithful one is the one who's actually ruling over this world and not us or anybody else. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um...